So Acts 17 continues then the travels and adventures of Paul and now with Silas as they head into Thessalonica. Three points tonight, shockingly. (laughs) And the first of these is... Now I've been pondering over how to phrase the first point and I'm going to use the strategies of discouragement as the first point. Now when we began our whole exploration on Acts, which we started in January last year by the way folks, when we started that we started on the premise that what we were going to be doing was looking through the book of Acts and we were going to be looking at what it says in regard to evangelism and how God is sending each and every single one of us to be his disciples every single day of the week. This is the one job where you get no holiday pay, sorry, no holiday leave, no days off. There is no break from this, but the rewards are better than any other job that will ever be created now and forevermore because you're with your maker. You're reconciled with God and he promises you heaven, eternity with him. But in these verses we see different strategies used to try and slow down the spread of the gospel. Now there are two very blindingly obvious strategies used here. The first of these being fear and the other of these being slander. Now can anyone tell me what slander is? Because I say that word and I actually wonder, does everyone know what that means? So who here can give me a brilliant dictionary.com definition of slander? Mudslinging or dissing somebody's character? Absolutely, I think that's right, and great points for the contemporary lingo there, Sheena. (laughs) But yeah, this is about saying something about somebody that's derogatory, that's not. Well, actually, is it not true? We're going to unpack that in a little minute. But it's about saying stuff publicly, I would imagine, because if you say it in your head, it's not really going to have much effect. But it's about saying stuff publicly about somebody that means that other people are going to view them in a specific way, a negative way. And we see that in these passages. And we also see fear used in these passages. They stir up mobs against Paul and Silas. And this is their primary way to try and stop them doing anything. They're creating havoc, chaos. And this ends up getting them before authorities. And in both cases in this chapter, it uses the phrase immediately they sent them onwards. So you could argue almost that this was effective. They went to these places, God opened up doors, trouble was created, and they were moved on. Was it effective? It wasn't effective, and we'll find out why in a little minute. But these are the strategies that he that is used in these verses. And I would argue, actually, ultimately, that we see the enemy's fingerprints behind these strategies. Because these are two of the things that he will often use to try and mobilize and paralyze us as Christians. I mean, who here likes fear? I'm one of these people, I do not get the point of, be, of being afraid. Does anyone here watch horror films? We've got one person. You, our brave soul up the back there, Declan. I, I don't get the point. I don't like being afraid. I don't understand why we would want to be afraid. But other people absolutely love them. 
and it just goes whoosh, totally over my head. Generally, we don't like fear. Who here likes being slandered, having other people say things about them that are negative? I'm glad no one stuck their hand up to that one, because if you had, I would be a little bit worried. We don't like it. We don't like fear, unless it's in movie form. We don't like being slandered. So we could then understand why these things might actually be effective at bringing change that others would want to enforce on us. And what's interesting in these verses when we think about the slander that's used, it's actually true. That's what's startling about what they drag Jason. And this shows you just how desperate these guys are. They've stormed his house in the hope of arresting Paul. And he's not there. So the kind of, it's like Jason's there and they're like, oh well you'll do, come on with us. So he's dragged out instead because they kind of get the folks that they want to get. And they're dragged out and they're dragged before everyone and it says, and this is in verse 7, Jason has received him. They're all acting against the decrees of Caesar and saying there is another king, Jesus. Sorry, in verse 6 it says, These men have turned the world upside down and they've come here also. These things are true. They have turned the world upside down with the good news because people are responding to it. They are teaching that there is another king in which you must give allegiance to. It's not Caesar. It's Jesus Christ. These things are true. But they're painting them in such a way that they're a threat. When actually Jesus is the one that says you render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. They're truths, but they're being distorted for good effect. Slander can be effective. And in this case it is. Because they're moved on from this village and then they're moved on from the next village. And again it's caused trouble. It's been stirred up. Now I don't know what tomorrow brings for any of us as Christians. My plan for tomorrow is to pull everything out of my garage and to find one of these mysterious mice. That's my plan for tomorrow. Everything's coming out and I'm going in with a brush and any mouse that's there is going to perish. That's the plan. I would imagine that's probably not your plan tomorrow. I would hope. But you're going to have encounters, ideally not with a mouse, but with people. And I wonder how much does fear and slander play in actually expressing the faith that we have in Jesus Christ? For Paul and Silas, you can almost imagine kind of like bulls in China shops, they don't give two hoots really. And it means people are stirring trouble up and they're moved on. But what about for us? When tomorrow ticks across, how easy is it going to be when you find yourself in work? Because work probably still runs on May Day. And I don't know what you, you guys have got planned. From what I understand, the schools are off tomorrow. So whenever you just pull yourselves out of bed... Whatever you have in store that day, that might be about 3, 4 o'clock, I'm not sure. But you're going to encounter people. How easy is it to speak about Jesus with these little things niggling in the back of our head? I said they seemed effective. 
They weren't effective. And why were they not effective? They're not effective because God is at work. They hit one place. The message goes forward. People start believing. Trouble comes. What happens? They're moved to another place. And the process simply repeats itself. And we know that these processes were effective because we've got letters to the Thessalonians. Churches were established in these places, no matter how much others tried to create fear and slander. God was at work and people came to faith. What does that tell us? Well, it tells us that the fear and slander that we might be concerned over red herrings. Not in the sense that they're not real. But bad news there, they are. And it might happen. But in the sense that these things don't stop God doing what he intends to do with us. His purposes will be fulfilled. The good works that he's prepared in advance for each and every single person sat here, they will happen. Because God is at work. And these verses, no matter how much they move them on, the gospel keeps going forward. What does this week coming have in store? I don't know. I don't know when it will be appropriate to speak about your faith and when it won't be because there are times that it's not appropriate to bellow out the fact that we're Christians. And sometimes, ironically, those are the times we find it easiest to talk about the fact we're Christians. But there will be times when it is the time to speak about the faith and the hope that we have. When God is at work creating possible moments for us to speak about Jesus and for other people to actually hear it. The success here isn't because even of the persistence of Paul and Silas. The success is because God is in it. And in every single one of our lives, whether we are under 10 or over 80, and I've been very careful who I look at when I use both those phrases. God is at work in your life. Today, tomorrow, and guess what? God doesn't take holidays either. There is no day when God says, ah, stuff it, I'm putting my feet up. He's at work. He's invested in our lives. He goes before us and he's with us in the present as well. So have hope. Have hope, even when things seem intimidating. Even when people do say things about us that we might not necessarily like. Even if it turns out they might be true. Have hope. Because God is in your life. And he will use you in amazing ways to further his kingdom. Paul and Silas aren't some special cut of Christian that are above everyone else. They're Christians living the call that God has placed on their lives. They're doing it to the best that they can. And there are times in Acts when we see they hit it on the head. And there are other times in Acts when we see they fail. And they get it wrong. The same is true in all our lives. There are times 
We get it right and there are times we get it wrong. But be encouraged because God is in it all. And through us simply living as faithfully as we can to Him and the call that He's placed on our lives, it's amazing what He can do. So there is fear and there is slander in these verses and these are the weapons that so often we see the enemy use to try and discourage us and immobilize us and paralyze us. But in reality, they're not effective because God is at work. What else we see in these verses is the remarkable way that Paul is dialoguing with these people. He's engaging with them on an intellectual level. And it's not very often that we see Scripture specifically naming this, but in both these parts of Scripture, he's engaging with people and using their heads. And they're searching the Scriptures together. And these people are finding the truth of God from that endeavour. And I want to highlight that because sometimes I think Christians can be so focused on this one spontaneous moment of conversion that when it happens it's absolutely amazing that we can dismiss the long process that some people go through of wrestling and define God from that. I can't count the amount of books that have been written by Christian authors who decided that their intention was to debunk Christianity And in the process of doing that, became Christians. You've got Lee Strobel in the case for Christ. He decided he was going to delve into research so that he would be equipped to debunk Christianity. And what happens? He ended up a Christian. He's published many books since then as well. There was another guy I was listening to on YouTube, and I can't remember his name, but he is a cold case guy for, I think it was FBI. So his job is to interview people for instance, let's go for there's been a car crash or something. He would interview all the people there to try and work out what had happened. Now what he was speaking about was actually the gospel stories of the resurrection because so often these are one of the places where people will say, well actually the stories don't all line up completely so surely it can't be true. And what he was saying is actually the fact that you see these stories potentially not lining up completely is evidence that they are true. He's like, if I go to a car crash, now he would generally get there within the first half an hour. He's like, I will interview four people and I will get four completely different accounts of what's happened. He's like, my job is to try and match all that together to find the truth. The four different accounts are because you've got four different personalities and four different ways of seeing things. It's like my job is to try and find out actually what did happen at that time. Intellect. God's given every single one of us in this room an intellect, a brain, rationale. We might argue some people use it more than others. But it's there. How often are we searching the scriptures and using the brain that God has given us 
How often are we seeking that truth? And how often are we passively just waiting for it to drop into our heads? Paul's ministry with these people was he got down and just explained the truth and encouraged them to dig for themselves. And much like this cold gaze guy who decided to to research the resurrection and discovered that actually it was true. Much like Lee Strobel, there are other people that will go through that same process as well. You know, often when we're talking to folks at our work or our family or our friends and things like that, there are times when we might actually think, oh, there was a wee breakthrough there. And we get all, yes, something's finally happening, they're actually listening. And then we might think actually they just go zooming a million miles backwards. And we can become disheartened and think, all that conversation was for absolutely nothing. They're further away now than what they ever were. People are on a journey. And they're not going to do the journey often how we might like them to. Sometimes the journey is zigzaggy. Sometimes it's instant. Oftentimes it's not. But persevere. Persevere. The Bible tells us to be ready at all times to give an answer for the hope that we have. So when tomorrow comes or the next day, or the next day, or whenever it might be, and you find yourself having that conversation with somebody, you might have had that conversation a hundred times with that person. That's part of their journey. And you pray that God uses that conversation to just deepen their understanding a little bit, so that at some time in the future they will come to that belief in Jesus Christ, that moment, that pivotal moment where they're going to surrender their life and give it to him. I don't know what your work colleagues are like or what your coffee buddies are like your school friends are like you do and you know the conversations that you've had with them but be encouraged don't let fear or slander discourage us remember always that God is at work Remember too that people are on a journey. You're going to have some people, and God's going to answer that prayer, they're going to become Christians like that. And that's awesome. And others are going to search. They're going to search. And the Holy Spirit is going to show them the truth as they endeavour on that search. And we don't know who those people are or when those moments come. But tomorrow or the next day or the day after, Well, I am confident, be one of those moments in which we are a vital part of that process. Why? Because we're sent by God. And God is at work. Let's pray. Father, Lord, for each and every one of us uh, in this room, we know you have good works that you have prepared in advance for us to do things that are going to further your kingdom, things that are going to bless others, things that are going to be part of that process of people coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. Lord, we pray that you would help us never to be discouraged, that we wouldn't allow fear and slander to be weapons that are effective against us. Not that that means we become foolish, Not that that means we'll let go of grace, but that that means that we are ready to speak humbly and lovingly about the hope that we have. 
Father, help us to use the minds that you've given us to deepen our understanding of the truth. Help us to be patient when we have the same conversations over and over and over and over with other people. Help us always to remember that you are at work. And no matter how futile something might seem, it never is. We see that in these verses, Lord. People trying to stop your gospel going forward, but failing because you were on the move. Lord, that is true now. You're an unchanging God and you're still at work bringing people into your kingdom. Let us never be discouraged, but let us be persistent and faithful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We stand together now to sing our closing songs, one of which is a song of commitment, Jesus, all for Jesus, and the other which is a song which asks that God captivates our vision as we close with Be Thou My Vision.